Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. We have to make sure that it gets there with integrity. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. We are very much focused on others just as an industry. This is the Market Scale Pro AV Show, hosted by Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Your weekly B2B kickback for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Show. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and I'm excited to deliver some inspirational content on our show today. The title and theme of today's episode is Inspiration in Every Pixel. So, yeah, definitely, I I hope that touches a heartstring and uh, you start to shed tears at all our content today. But really, the reason I titled it this is because all of our content focuses around how Pro-AV is stimulating knowledge is stimulating imagination and is taking people to new worlds or guiding them through new subjects all through digital signage and av installs which is really incredible when you think about it the power that technology can have on the mind so excited to showcase this content for you all today in case you missed it on market scale pro av this week we have some solid written content that i'd like you all to check out We have a piece that explores how AR and VR are being used in the sciences for education, which are getting some people to speculate, will AR and VR replace the microscope? Kind of a bold statement. I don't know if it will, but hey, you know, anything can happen, right? And another piece is how farmers are using LED lights to sustain their plants, which is a really cool out-of-the-box use for AV and uh, really seeing the power that LED technology can have just beyond the AV world and into uh, the food and beverage industry as well. I'd also like to welcome Tyler Kern. I call him the Colonel, the podcast Colonel per se, but he is the newest addition to Market Scale's podcast team. Loved working with him so far, and he helped put together most of the main content for this week's episode. While I was out in Seattle, I was in Washington with Tom Laurie of Microsoft's healthcare division doing some podcast content, which is a whole nother story, something for another time. But this is a shout out for Tyler. So Tyler, round of applause for you. You're in the studio. Thank you. Thank you so much for helping put this together. Um, What's some of the cool content we can expect on today's Pro-AV episode? Well, I talked to Chet Kaplan, who is um, in charge of museum installs uh, for Capital Exhibit Services. And one of the things that he uh, really dives into is just how AV is helping uh, modernize and bring bring museums uh, different and new exciting ways of imparting knowledge to its visitors. And okay. so that, that's, uh, that's something that's really exciting um, that we're going to talk about on today's episode. And then I talked to Larry O'Reilly and... Um, Sorry, he's the CEO of Art Media in Toronto, Ontario. And one of the things that uh, he talked about was the use of hologram technology uh, for educational purposes. So bringing a professor into the classroom uh, from around the world, uh, just right there, uh, and, it, and it looks like he's, he's physically present in the room. He or she is physically present in the room. So it's really exciting technology, really exciting stuff, and some of the advancements. And, and like you mentioned earlier, it's, it's all educational. It's all for the betterment of others. Right. Yeah, I'm really excited about that second piece mostly because I know there are a lot of studies and a lot of talk around how technology distracts in the classroom and so I wonder if having a hologram of your professor in the classroom will it be so immersive that you really do start paying attention or will it be so 
so odd to see a hologram in the classroom that it actually pulls you out of the education. So that's something that I'm guessing we dig into in this podcast. Yeah, it's something that Larry mentions and also talks about the difference between having a hologram in the room and watching a professor on like a TV screen or right. a monitor. So listen for that. That His answer to that question was, was particularly interesting to me. Love it. Well, looking forward to hearing it. All right, everyone, got to start the show, per usual, with my install of the week. And this is actually a pretty old install. It's from 2014, so I'm a little behind the curve. But I really liked the way that they used this display in real time and the technology behind it. So it was in New York City, and BMW set up a digital wall display on the street that captured passing cars in real time and displayed them as BMWi electric and hybrid cars of the future. So as a car went by, the technology would detect the car, it would then process it, and it would show it going by on the screen, but instead it looked like the futuristic new car. It was really, really cool to see the video on it. And not only was it a really clean display, the the people who put it together did a fabulous job on the pixel pitch and on the actual design, but it was a great marketing opportunity. I mean, it really got people excited authentically uh, about this product. And that's what you want to get out of a marketing campaign. You don't want people to feel like they're being advertised to. You want it to feel like they get excited about your product because it's a cool product. And the, the two things that I really loved about this display were the technology behind it and the education that was a part of the whole marketing campaign. So the technology behind it was smart AI tech that was able to detect the cars and then in real time process them and play them back in real time. And I love that digital signage is empowering other technology and really seeing that the power digital signage can have when it's coupled with other smart technology. Uh, And the other thing I really loved about this display was how it was used to educate, not just advertise. Uh, It showed how much money these electric hybrid BMW cars would save, as well as how much emissions could be cut annually by switching to a car like this. So it really was a window into the future. It was a cool ad, a cool display, and I love how it promoted education as well as a neat concept. So definitely install of the week worthy. Time to start the show off with our first main feature. Recent estimates have shown that about 100 new museums and cultural centers open around the world each day. As the marketplace becomes more congested, museums and exhibits have increasingly turned to AV as a way to create more immersive and personalized experiences for their visitors. MarketScale host Tyler Kern sat down with Chet Kaplan, director of AV integration at Capital Exhibit Services, to peel back the evolving needs in museums and how the AV industry has pushed to create new solutions. Joining me today to talk about that is Chet Kaplan. He's the director of AV integration at Capital Exhibit Services. Chet, thanks for joining me on the Pro AV podcast today. Oh, my pleasure, Tyler. So, how are museums, in, in your mind, changing thanks to uh, just the evolving AV technology that they have at their disposal and creating more interactive and personalized experiences for their visitors? Well, it used to be that a lot of museums were reluctant to bring AV into the, into the exhibit areas. But I think uh, for a while now, museums have been learning that it's a way to really expand upon their exhibits. They can show a lot more on an interactive screen than they can show in one exhibit. 
and they can make changes to that uh, interactive screen or exhibit uh, quicker than they can make physical changes to the museum. And it's developing uh, much further than that now. So now they're getting to a point where you can uh, physically interact with uh, video images, such as using a connect device or something similar to that. And then we can tailor the exhibit to the individual uh, visitor. So things are changing quite a bit. And it sounds like museums and, and places like this are no longer places that you just you walk through uh, and kind of observe different things, but you're much more of an active participant now. If you visit a museum, there's much more uh, interaction that seems to be uh, available for the museum visitor now. Right. You can walk in and uh, really dig down into a subject that you are uh, more interested in others. Uh, the museum may, may have a limited amount of something in that subject, but through the technology, you can learn more about subjects that are a little bit more obscure or a little bit more of your taste and style. So it's really bringing the visitor uh, instantly, more and more visitors into the museums and making the experience uh, much more gratifying for the visitors as well of all ages. So in your opinion, uh, with this evolution in, in the use of AV in museums, do you think museums are doing a better job educating and informing than they were before? Well, I think that's always been their task and their goal, but I think the technology is a, is a great tool to use to fulfill that goal. There's lots of different ways to use the technology to really get the points across, whether it's historical or social or you know, talking about what could happen in the future. So I, I know here in North Texas, they uh, they recently put in the National Soccer Hall of Fame, and one of the things they used there, and you were part of that project, uh, one of the things they used here was uh, facial recognition technology that then lets you go in and, and personalize uh, your preferences. So as you walk through this particular museum, uh, it tailored that experience for you. Do you see more of that coming down the road? I know this was maybe one of the first times that's really been used, but do you you foresee a day coming where that's more of the norm, where everything that you see in a museum is kind of tailored towards your preferences and what you're interested in? Yeah, it, it, it depends a lot on the subject matter of the museum, but that is happening more and more, whether it's facial recognition or an RFID kind of system where you carry around a tag or barcodes um, as you walk around you can scan things with your phone or even have private experiences with your phone related to electronics that are embedded within the exhibit so it's it's more of a draw for the visitor when they can go there and have an experience tailored just for them and that the national soccer hall of fame when you register you put in your email address and what teams you're interested in and what types of uh, the soccer play you're interested in, like if you're into defense or offense or you like the goalies and, then you, and what players you're interested in. And then as you walk around, each experience is tailored to your likes and needs. So it really makes a much more uh, immersive experience for the visitor. And I, I see it more and more happening. It's really fascinating, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how that continues to evolve. But one of the things that seems to uh, also come into the equation, and you mentioned a little bit of this earlier, that part of what makes AV intriguing for these museums is that they can change exhibits without necessarily having to change all of the hardware. They can just change the, the way it looks using AV. But how do they weigh the cost 
of uh, installing some of these uh, these AV components um, with the potential of, of you could you could change it, I suppose, at any time. But then there there is still a cost with installation, I would assume. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, each museum has to look at their own needs and budgets and and tailor the technology that they'd like to get into to those needs. But when you install some AV components, whatever they might be, a film or an interactive exhibit, uh, you're really bringing in more visitors and a different type of visitor. And you can tailor those experiences to different age groups, depending on what your demographic is for the museum. It's a one-time uh, expense, um, but generally the equipments, you know, they last about 10 years or so before you have to start looking at replacing them. And it's a little different than a basic business model because in museums you have a lot of grants coming through and donations. So as those come in, they you know look sit back and look what they can make investments in. And as I said, it's a it's something you can change the software on without having to rebuy new hardware after two years. Yeah, so it really sounds like something where the, there's a maybe a higher upfront cost, but down the road you end up saving yourself. Uh, money kind of as you go along because uh, you're able to, to change and, and adapt to what you want to do and, and how you want to present things. Right. And in, in my experience, I mean, if it's a larger museum and they're going to be making an investment in a new exhibit, they're automatically going to take part of that budget and turn it over to uh, audiovisual because they know what it can do for them. So they're not going in thinking, okay, we have a half a million dollars that we can put into this exhibit, how much more is AV going to cost us? They're figuring, okay, we have half a million dollars, and X percent of that is going to be AV because we know what it can do for us. So I'm curious how you walk through the process with someone that comes in, you know, with a, with a museum and that says, hey, we want to do X, Y, and Z, you know, how, here's how we want to tackle that. How do you walk through the process of they have this idea all the way through implement, implementation? Well, there's a number of different players involved depending on the size of the job. Um, it'll usually start off with the designer talking with the museum and getting some ideas of what they want to show and do. And then they'll bring in uh, either an architect or an exhibit fabricator like Capital Exhibits or a AV consultant and then start talking about what kinds of things we can do for the budget that they think they may have. So that's where the, the basis of it is. So, we, and if that's, if we get in on the ground floor of that, we call that a design build. So we can have a hand in it from the very beginning right through the end. Um, and from there, we settle up on what our budget is and what we think we can do. And then we present uh, more firm ideas on what exactly the equipment uh, is meant to do. And we'll bring in uh, media developers, the people who are actually uh, shooting the films and creating the programs. And then we talk it through and come up with a final design of an AV system. And then we'll present the final budget and then we design it all on paper before anything is even purchased. And then you go through the purchasing process, start testing all the equipment before install even comes close. And then uh, the installation phase comes along and we do the installation, whether it takes two days or in case of Texas, about six or eight weeks. 
So what are some of the more unique uh, ways and, and creative ways that you've seen AV used to enhance the experience at, uh, at museums? What are some of your personal favorites maybe that you've been a part of or that you've seen uh, done around the world or around the country? Well, we've done, um, I'll tell you this, it's a wide variety of stuff because we work with a lot of different museums. But we worked on a table that was made up of about six uh, touchscreens laid flat as a table. And it was regarding electricity in the grid. And you could place like a physical tower on the touch table and it would recognize it as a transmission tower. And another item you could place on the table would be a plant. You had to connect transmission tower with the plant and do it in the correct way. And then the video underneath would show that those connections happening and showed you how to build a, a viable grid for a town or a city. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, other things are more subtle. I mean, we've had uh, we built an interactive that was a forest that you'd walk through, and as you waved your hands, the light on the wall from the projection would change, and the leaves would change, and uh, that was a pretty interesting one. Uh, we've done. Let's see. Pick another good one here. Well, I guess for me, the bottom line is that when, I, when you're talking about development of this stuff, when I see it on paper, and we're working on it for a year, and it's just, you know, starting from the ground up, and I finally get to go in there after we finish, and they open up, and kids and people will start interacting with this stuff, no matter what we've built. That's when the real payoff happens. It's when you see people really enjoying the work that Created. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fascinating. It has to be a rewarding experience just to get to see uh, the enjoyment and uh, probably the looks on kids' faces or, or you know even adults as they walk in and they get to interact and, and see uh, this new technology. And I think that that's really uh, that's really a cool thing about AV that it does allow for those experiences. And it's not just walking in and looking. It's it's getting to interact. It's getting to experience. And that seems to be the name of the game these days. And and I'm wondering as 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 virtual reality and augmented reality kind of become more into vogue and that becomes uh, more and more accessible to more people. How do you see that being integrated into museums in the future? Well, that's, I think the virtual reality part of it where you wear a headset or something similar is something that's new uh, fairly recently. Uh, augmented reality where you're walking around and uh, you're learning more about an exhibit because you come near a transmitter and it triggers something in your phone to to talk to you or learn more about it that's been around for a little while uh the virtual reality headsets like at the hall of fame uh that's completely immersive and boy i tell you people really like to to use those things it's a little challenging in the sense that those were really developed for consumer use and not commercial use in a museum setting so there are challenges around okay, how do we attach it? How do we make sure it doesn't walk away with somebody? Uh, but I think we can overcome those challenges and same with others because the, uh, the experience for the visitor is just so intense. In the soccer hall of fame, you know, you feel like you're right there and people are throwing stuff at you like balls that you have to block and such. So it's a very intense, very uh, fulfilling experience for the visitor. So I think because of that, we're going to see more and more of that. And you'll probably start seeing uh, more commercial development of headsets that can be used in a, an environment where a lot of people are using them. So in addition to, to 
more VR and more of that type of technology. What else, when you look out at the landscape of, uh, of museums and exhibits, what else do you see maybe coming down the pipeline that maybe hasn't quite arrived yet, but might become the next wave of things as we, uh, as we look forward uh, to, to further development of AV in, in museums and exhibits? There's a lot for the museums uh, when it comes to the future, uh, especially in terms of getting to know the visitor and getting the visitor to know the museum. Uh, there's a lot of social media stuff that's up and coming where you can post what you've seen at the museum directly from your phone right there and give more information about it. Uh, it gives the museums, uh, with the more technology that is used, it gives the museums more of a chance in terms of marketing to have email address and get better demographics on who's coming into the museum. Um, in terms of the technology in the future, I think you're seeing a lot of uh, the completely immersive experiences like an, uh, an immersive theater where you're sitting in the theater and you're feeling the seats shake and you're watching, you know, turntables on the stage turn around and everything's happening around you with you know, full surround sound and such. And you're also seeing things like 360 degree screens. Uh, where things are happening all around you and really making you become part of the experience. And I think it's uh, opening up new doors for educating the visitor on what the museum wants to uh, teach you about. Wow, that's incredible. Just some really, really exciting innovations coming down the pipeline in AV for museums and exhibits. Chet, thank you so much for the time today. We really appreciate you, uh, you taking some time to talk to the Pro AV Podcast. My pleasure, Tyler. We have one more feature on today's show, but before that, let's get our daily dose of industry news. These are your Pro-AV News Minutes, brought to you by MarketScale. Apple has just been granted a patent for micro-LED displays. The micro-LEDs would provide an angle of view adjustment layer, which would enrich the viewing angle for all users. Apple has acquired AR company Aconia Holographics, a company which currently possesses more than 200 patents in AR technology. The Bank of Thailand has recently installed the Harman Professional Solutions AV system for their Learning Center library, as well as museum. The bank recently established its Learning Center by transforming one of its old mint-making facilities into the complex. Some of the AV solutions featured in the Learning Center are JBL loudspeakers, Soundcraft mixers, Martin lighting fixtures, and much, much more. Ramesh Jayaraman, VP and General Manager of Harman Professional Solutions, APAC, has said the project required a sophisticated AV system that would deliver rich sound and stunning visuals for an immersive, interactive experience. And finally, Sony is looking to add a second screen experience to their VR technology. In April, Sony filed a patent titled Second Screen Virtual Window into VR Environment, which would allow other people not wearing the VR headset to see the virtual world through use of a phone or tablet. The idea behind this technology is to allow VR to become a group event that can be shared with others. Sony also envisioned this second screen interaction to be done online over the internet, which could pave the way for VR streaming in the future. This has been Sam Kingma, and these have been your Market Scale Pro AV Minutes.
Every day, we hear about another celebrity that's going to be brought back to the stage using hologram technology. So far, the news surrounding holograms has been focused primarily on the entertainment industry, but that could all be about to change. Larry O'Reilly, CEO of Art Media in Toronto, Ontario, joined us on the Pro-AV podcast to talk about the use of hologram technology for educational purposes and what the benefits or negatives might be compared to a screen or in-person lecture. Here's Tyler Kern with the feature. All right, I'm joined now on the Pro-AV podcast by Larry O'Reilly. He's the CEO of Art Media in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Art Media is the global leader in two-way real-time telepresence with holographic display known as humograms. Larry, thank you so much for joining me today on the Pro-AV podcast. Happy to be here, Tyler. You guys are, are the leader in this industry, and I'm curious, just what are some of the celebrities that you've had the privilege of, uh, of turning into a hologram? Well, it's, it's a long list. Um, you know, when you consider people uh, as... Uh, as well known as Warren Buffett, um, Stephen Hawking, um, the Prime Minister of Canada. Um, re- more recently, uh, we've worked with Yvel Noah Harari, the historian and, and author, um, Ray Kurzweil, the head of engineering at Google. Um, it's a list that goes on and on uh, who've used our technology. That's a really impressive list that you guys uh, can boast from. And, and we're hearing so much more about holograms these days than maybe we were you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I'm curious, what exactly is driving this, uh, this push of holograms into the, uh, into the everyday consciousness? Well, I know in our case, um, or actually I should step back. Uh, I think really the, the main emphasis for the push today is that um, new technology is enabling people to deliver quality holograms at a lower price. And uh, historically, most of the holograms that have been used for major productions um, and events have been based on Pepper's Ghost, uh, which is a technology which delivers a very good quality hologram, but it's quite expensive to actually deliver. Um, We use a wholly different process to deliver the hologram, but in our case, the hologram is only one part of the story. Uh, What is much more impactful is this uh, idea of the telepresence where we have less than 0.35 seconds of latency one way anywhere in the world. So we can make it appear as though a person appears lifelike and real, but now they sound lifelike and real. So they can engage in a conversation with another person or an audience as if they're actually there. That's really incredible technology that you guys have been developing and working on. And you mentioned the Pepper's Ghost, um, that, that, that method of doing it. I was, I was wondering if you could kind of get into the, the nitty-gritty and explain exactly how that technology works. Well, Pepper's Ghost is actually an old technology um, where uh, there is a, a foil that is uh, at a 45-degree angle, and a projected image hits that foil and is reflected uh, to create a holographic form. Um, the good news about Pepper's Ghost is it's a proven technology that can provide a high-quality holographic image, which is terrific. Um, the bad news is it requires a fairly large footprint um, in order to deliver, and it can take some time to actually set it up and tear it down, oftentimes requiring a crew of people to d- deliver it. Um, in our case, what we're doing is we're actually projecting onto a proprietary mesh Uh, with a highly reflective proprietary paint um, on an angle and we can project in some cases from the rear if the staging allows it or we can project from the front 
Um, and then we provide some light behind the subject matter as well. And, you know, the viewer fuses the light of the image with the light behind to create a 3D effect without wearing 3D glasses. That's really fascinating that the that that's able to work the way that it does, and I'm fascinated by the work you do. Uh, a lot of the talk around holograms has been about bringing uh, artists who have passed away back to life and and having concerts and and, and you know having a, a tour basically with uh, Amy Winehouse or Prince at the Super Bowl or something along those lines, and that that's kind of brought up some ethical dilemmas as far as uh, how to use the likeness of somebody who's passed away. How has art media tackled this uh, this sensitive topic? Well, we basically responded to the requests of our of our client base, and we have in the past um, done uh, uh, holographic presentations of people who have passed away. Uh, we did a big uh, concert a few years ago in in Germany with the lead singer of Black Sabbath, um, where he came on for the grand finale with the live members of the band, which was extremely well received. Um, and we actually have the holographic rights to Notorious B.I.G. But we've also done events um, for, for other um, people where we've had actors play people who are deceased. Um, and we always have the conversation whether, you know, you think that it, it's a reasonable time frame has passed. Um, what is the specific application? And at the end of the day, it, you know, we're just the enabler. Um, the it, it's the clients who really decide. Now, holograms aren't just uh, reserved for bringing artists back to the stage or for entertainment purposes. You guys at Art uh, are helping lead the way in using holograms in the classroom. And I was wondering if you can explain more about your efforts in that area. Well, education, in my mind, is the low-hanging fruit in terms of an application of holographic telepresence. You know, our slogan is we bring the best in the world to the rest of the world. And there, in reality, there is a real shortage of high quality educators in all kinds of disciplines. Um, in the short term, and in, in the immediate demand or biggest demand seems to be in MBA programs globally. And one of the reasons for that is that they have larger budgets and frankly are, are more demanding. Um, their students are more demanding in terms of expertise that they're trying to acquire. But you have to appreciate um, you could be a student, you know, at the University of Perth and have an interest in corporate real estate in New York. And we could actually bring an instructor or a specialist from New York into the classroom in Perth, um, have them deliver a lecture, interact with the students in real time as if they were there. We can then capture that content, edit it and put it in the cloud and make it available to other university students elsewhere, anywhere where there's a holograph, uh, an art media holographic display, and they could potentially la download that content and play it back, and the author could earn a fee, and the institution that he works at could earn a fee, and art media would earn a fee. Um, you know, much like a, uh, a a library in the cloud of subject matter experts in all disciplines. Um, the thing that's most interesting to us is that while we were starting with the MBA programs, we're already getting interest from a lot of other programs. And um, we've had interest out of medicine, we've had interest out of engineering, 
Um, and uh, we believe that you know we're going to get interest all across the board. So it sounds like what you're describing is is basically a central database of of professors and experts in specific topics that could then be uh, trans. What's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yes, transported kind of all around the world. Is is that kind of what you're envisioning at some point? That's that's where that's sort of the end game, and that's directionally where we're going. I think what will happen in the short term, though, is you're going to see universities who have either formal or informal networks of their own where they're already sharing expertise. And what we will allow them to do is to be able to do that much more efficiently. Um, and you know, the one thing that was interesting, we, we participated in a, uh, a big educators conference in London in uh, February this year called BAT. And um, it's the biggest technology and education conference in Europe, maybe the world. And what we, the learning that I received was that there are a whole host of universities whereby a professor teaches at one university on a Monday, he might teach at another university on a Wednesday, and a third university on a Friday. And he literally drives from one to the other. Um, and, and because there is just a shortage of expertise in certain subjects, um, what our technology enables would be that the person wouldn't have to drive, that he could deliver the Wednesday and Friday lecture from the place that he's at on Monday. And, and frankly, he could rotate it, uh, you know, if, if, if need be, and, um, and appear live sometimes and appear as a hologram other times. But it just provides so much more flexibility of getting the best instructors to students where the demand is. How does using a hologram or holograph technology how is it better than having a professor on a screen, like a video screen or something like that? How, is, how has that changed the, the atmosphere in the classroom? Well, I think that, you know, my feeling is, is that anytime a person appears on a monitor, um, you give the person permission to tune out. And if you watch young people at home watching movies uh, or, or something on television, oftentimes they will have three electronic devices going at once. So they'll be watching a movie or a sporting event or something on a television. They might be watch watching something else on their computer and they'll be, you know, texting with their friends on their phone. Uh, and, and you know, it's all a big, a big dis distraction, if you will. Um, when you have a person appearing life-size in a holographic form, and especially in a, an arena where they are live so that they can see you and you see them, um, you don't give them permission to look at their phone. And if they are looking at their phone, you can actually call them out on it. And the emotional connection is incredible. I mean, there's, there's a real sense of presence when you are there with no latency um, and in a holographic form. It really feels like the person's in the room. So that's that's the the student side. What is the professor going to be seeing when they are doing, you know, doing a lecture, giving a lecture, using this holographic technology? Are they looking at a monitor that allows them to see the students as well? Correct. That's exactly what they would be looking at. And if they're in a very large lecture hall, they could potentially have a couple of feeds. But at the very least, they would have one feed of the of the classroom, um, and uh, so that. You know, they will still engage directly with their students, get to know their students, and have that emotional connection as well. Um, but most importantly, um, you know, they're they're going back and forth, and there is that whole sense of engagement. And uh, and you know, we can configure the capture side 
many different ways. We've done events, for example, with Tony Robbins, we did an event um, in January and you know, it was a tech conference in Beverly Hills and they, were, they had seven cameras at this event recording and streaming live onto the internet. And so Tony wanted all seven feeds at once so that he could see every potential person and every potential angle. And our technology enables that to actually happen. I think that you know, for a university lecture hall, we don't require seven feeds by any stretch, but there might be one or two. How close is this to becoming a mass-produced uh, technology, something that, that could be used just by everyday people? Uh, you know, whether I want to be you know, in a hospital room across the country you know, to see a loved one or something like that, how close is this to being a reality? Well, the technology is there to deliver exactly what you're talking about. And, um, you know, we've had um, some people approach us about the idea of setting up franchises whereby people could go into like a retail type setting and go visit their loved one on the other side of the country, you know, go visit their, you know, you're, you could be in, in Detroit and visiting your grandmother in Arizona. And she would actually have the feeling as though you're right there as opposed to doing it via Skype or, or, or over the phone, if you will. Have there, been any, have there been any thoughts to doing this with, like a, with world leaders or something like that to get them in the same room using holographic technology rather than actually being physically present? Well, we've worked with politicians in the past and we've had politicians appear in events that they weren't able to attend otherwise um, in a pre-recorded type form. Um, we've ha had expressions of interest from um, different political um, organizations and, and conferences, and we're oftentimes used in conferences uh, where there are multiple speakers and, and in, you know, usually we're crossing a lot of borders uh, when people are using our technology. So, um, you know, what you're describing is, is, was, would be a very normal use case for our technology. That's absolutely fascinating. Uh, that is CEO of Art Media. That's A-R-H-T Media, Larry O'Reilly. Larry, thank you so much for joining us on the Pro AV Podcast. Uh, thanks, Tyler. Appreciate being here. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. That's it for today's MarketScale Pro AV episode. I really enjoyed the educational content we explored on today's show, especially that museum piece. Um, you know, I haven't been to a museum in a while, but just as I've been putting together these Pro AV shows and browsing online for some cool digital installs, the, the work, the art that they're doing in museums and the way that it's really bringing these exhibits to life is exciting, and I think it's ushering in a new age for how people can get inspired going to a museum. I mean, of course, you you get used to seeing cool exhibits and seeing King Tut or seeing um, seeing the Ice Age re-represented or maybe getting to do a little mock dissection of your own, whatever it might be, but now you get to do it with AR, you get to do it with VR, you get to do it with uh, a, a beautiful LED install that is as much art as it is a functional part of the process. So it's an exciting time for sure, and. I'm back here with Tyler in the studio again. Tyler, what was your favorite piece that you helped put together for the Pro-AV show today? I really did enjoy talking to Chet and, uh, about museum installs. And one of the things that, uh, one of the, the, the words that keeps coming up when you talk about AV, especially when it comes to museums, is experience. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer just something where you walk through a museum and you observe a bunch of things and maybe you read some stuff about something that happened a long time ago. Now you're experiencing it and you're really getting into the middle of it and understanding new ways that you can interact with things. And so that to me was particularly 
particularly exciting about uh, the future of of what uh, can be done using audio video in museums. Well, it's been your first week here. You've got to interview a lot of cool people from a lot of different industries. Uh, what would you say is one of the weirdest things that you've learned? Um, it can be from any industry. It doesn't have to be pro-AV, but I know when I first started, I was doing podcasts on a variety of things that were blowing my mind. So what, uh, what's something that blew your mind first week here? Well, on this week's AEC episode uh, that you can go listen to uh, elsewhere on the market scale uh, on the market scale website, uh, I interviewed someone who uh, his name Don Ruggles, who makes an argument that uh, there are predetermined standards for beauty that your mind uh, understands from long, long ago, and that affects how you view architecture. He even argues that uh, that what you like and what you don't like when it comes to architecture can affect your health. And uh, he went so far as to suggest that there could possibly be a day where a designer of a building could be held accountable uh, if somebody walks into that building and has a heart attack. Oh, my God. So, uh, he really is putting his money where his mouth is on that one, so you'll want to go hear that uh, episode if that sounds at all interesting to you. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it gets me thinking. I mean, everyone talks that they have a type, right? Oh, yeah, I have a certain type of person I'm attracted to, but sounds like you've got a certain type of architecture you can be attracted to, and there's not really much control you can have over it either. It's built in. Sorry about it. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a Victorian guy. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's funny you mentioned that too. I was just watching a video on why the Victorian house is the symbol of horror, and it's because it's so uh, gaudy and there's so much, uh, I don't know, unnecessary architecture mixed in there with these houses and... and after the Great Depression, people looked back on these Victorian houses and were like, God, what a, what an example of pure American excess. <laughs> um, so maybe it's hardwired for us to just not like that. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Don Ruggles says he knows. Don though. Ruggles does know. So yeah, you definitely got to go check that out, people. Head to the Market Scale AEC industry page and listen to that episode. But again, Tyler, thanks so much for your help putting this episode together. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to find out more, or listen to previous ones, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. Next week's episode is going to be a little shorter on account of Thanksgiving. I know everyone's going to be stuffing their faces with turkey or uh, cranberry sauce or mashed potatoes or some alternative. I mean, I know the dishes continue to expand, and that's what's getting me excited. Hopefully I get something tasty this time around that I haven't tried before. But while you're doing that, make sure to listen to the Pro AV and AEC shows as they drop. And make sure to leave a comment and rating and shoot us a like wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.